Hi, I'm Devin Moore, your host for Humanity Rising's Race to Speak Up podcast and founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. The Race to Speak Up podcast is a place where we have open and engaging conversations about bullying prevention, how to be upstanders, and how we are making a positive change in our communities. So the question now is, how do you race to speak up? Hello, and welcome to the Race to Speak Up podcast. I'm your host, Devin Moore. Today's guest is Dr. Janet Abakoya, also known as Dr. J. Dr. J is the CEO of Dr. J's Lounge, LLC, a racial, ethnic, and cross-cultural educational coaching and training company that provides professional development workshops to individuals, educational institutions, nonprofits, and corporations. Dr. J is a Nigerian-American scholar activist and educator who is deeply committed to improving the educational opportunities and outcomes of all students, particularly children of color and people with disabilities. Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in the Cafeteria is Dr. J's flagship novel. It addresses the triple condemnation of being Black, an immigrant, and a young girl in the United States while navigating various sociocultural contexts, identities, and expectations from abroad. Welcome, Dr. J. How are you doing? I am blessed and highly favored. How are you? I'm doing very good. I am happy to be speaking with you today. Likewise. It's good to see you again, Devin. It's good to see you too. So Thank you're, you. the, you're the CEO of Dr. J's Lounge. Why don't you tell us about it? All right, so Dr. J's Lounge was actually created when I was, when we were during the, in the pandemic. <laughs> um, I wanted a space to share my research on the experiences of immigrant youth, specifically the 1.5 and second generation. And what that refers to are children who were born um, outside of the US. So in my case, Nigeria, and they come to the US under the age of 12 and are raised here. They are the 1.5 generation. And the second generation are immigrant children that are born and raised in the US. So my research um, you know, explored their identity experiences, you know, coming to how did they come to understand being Nigerian, Yoruba, Black, African American in the US. And it had been, you know, I've been publishing from my dissertation. I finished my dissertation in 2009 from the University of Maryland College Park. And I've been publishing from my work um, in the Harvard Ed Review and different articles, journal articles and, and book chapters. And it was, it was fine, but I really wanted um, to get my research out there in more, more accessible ways. You know, I wanted parents, community members, students to better understand what was happening with young people um, in, in schools, immigrant children in particular in schools and start to really address these issues in more meaningful ways. Um, because the reality was, what I saw was that, you know, even though it had been, you know, since 2009 that, that I published this work, these same issues were still happening in schools around colorism, around um, xenophobia, um, just, just, just the, the bullying that, that happens and they weren't being addressed in proper ways. And so I wanted a space, I wanted to find a, a space and you know, with the pandemic, we, we all turned online. So I wanted to create a space to start sharing my research and to start having courageous conversations around these very serious issues that are impacting 
identity developments and the academic experiences of immigrant youth and all students actually in US schools. That's very interesting. And you know, another way that um, you're really sharing your research and really sharing this understanding of identity, African identity and bullying is through your book called Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in the Cafeteria. So what yes, inspired you to write this book and what is it about? All right, so, well, the inspiration came from my dissertation. Like I said, I had <clears throat> been publishing um, in different journal articles and book chapters for some years. And it was fine. And I was pre presenting at conferences and it was, it was fine. The, the work was getting around, but it wasn't getting to the people that really needed it, the teachers, the students, you know? Um, and so, you know, they won't, I don't, you don't know very many students going to pick up journal articles, <laughs> you know, some, some very highly ambitious ones, but you don't see them very many, many high school students or college students, well, college, some college students, but high school, you don't see them very much, very often searching out journal articles. And so, but I wanted the work to get to them. So I decided to, you know, take my work a little bit further and, and fictionalize it, fictionalize the stories um, uh, and make it more digestible and shorter. You know, the attention spans this, these days are not, <laughs> not very long for people, unfortunately. So it's a quick read, you know, it's less than 45 pages. Um, but, you know, each chapter highlights different issues that the young character Sheyi, it's a young woman, young girl named Oluwa Sheyi Adebayo. Uh, she comes, comes from Nigeria and she comes to the US at eight years old and she grows up here. And we start to experience some of her issues around her, around people, you know, talking about her dark skin, insulting her for being African, um, talk, making fun of her African food in, in, in schools when she was when she eats in the cafeteria. She longs to be accepted by the African American students at her school, but she's she feels rejected by them um, because of her difference because she's African. And so I I, I take the time to walk the reader through Shay's experiences to help them understand, you know, how she feels as she's being rejected in some cases, loved in some cases um, by her peers because of, because she's different, because she's immigrant, because she's Nigerian. And a lot of it comes from, a lot of the ignorance and the bullying that Shay experiences in, in the school is because of the, um, the negative media portrayals of Africans that has perpetuated, has been portrayed and perpetuated in the US psyche, the US media, the global media for centuries, centuries. When I think about Tarzan, when I think about, um, you, know, uh, you know, the safari images, the, the wild African jungles and, and no contextualization, um, it, it used to scare people. You think about Joseph Conrad, the heart of darkness, the way that Africans were portrayed as, 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 as villain, villains and savages. You know, we were scary. We were seen as very scary. And so that's the image that many people have of Africans even to this day. And so you have young African immigrants, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looking forward to opportunities in the U.S. and they're being you know, um, insulted, insulted and bullied for being dark-skinned. They're being threatened and harassed for eating their traditional African foods like obono soup and eba, you know, or obono soup and amala, or jollof rice and dodo. Hey, these are delicious, nutritious meals, though. <laughs> 
but these kids are harassed. You know, they're, they're harassed in schools, they're bullied, they're insulted, their languages are, are, are berated. They're told to quit speaking that gibberish, you know, around us, you know. So it, is, it, it makes people, it makes the students feel, it makes Shay feel disconnected, it makes her feel like she doesn't belong with people who look like her, right? We're supposed to be together as black people, but her African-American peers are telling her that she's not black enough. She's not, she's not black. What does that mean? She's like, this woman is coming from Africa. <laughs> this young girl's coming from Africa. And you're telling her, <laughs> you're telling her she's not black enough. You know, but what they mean by that is that they have an understanding of what it means to be African-American. Their, their understanding is based on, so one of the things that's often missing in these conversations is that people don't understand the diversity of black people in the US. Do you know that, Devin? Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, have you heard of the African diaspora? You know what that I've means? heard about it looking at um, some of the things uh, or a lot of the things that you've been doing. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so the so diaspora, what does diaspora mean? Diaspora means dispersal. It means dispersal. So we're talking about the dispersal of African people from the continent of Africa. That is the African diaspora, right? So, you know, it, we started to see migrations of African people, you know, about 8,000 BCE. There was the internal migration from people moving from Northern Africa to Southern and Eastern parts of the continent. Um, and then about eighth and ninth century um, CE, we saw the Trans-Saharan African slave trade where we saw Africans forcibly removed to the Mediterranean, to, um, to different parts of Asia as well. And then in the 16th through about the 19th century, we most, this is what the ones that most people know is the Trans-Saharan slave trade. And that's the slave trade that you're often taught in school. That's about the only one um, of the different migrations. There's been multiple migrations of black people through the centuries, but most people know of the Trans-Saharan slave trade where 10 to 20 million African people were forcibly, forcibly moved, migrated, transported like cargo, like animals, animals, like animals to the new world. They went to Europe, they went to North America, they went to South America. So those were the different, those are the main trait, uh, slave trades that most people, or migrations that most people are familiar with, right? We'll talk about the African diaspora. But then in the US, we've had other migrations. We had, um, after emancipation, after emancipation proclamation, we had movement of, of, of um, freed Africans, free blacks, from the south moving to the north, from the east moving to the west. And then post 1965, brother, because before post before 1965, we didn't see as many um, Africans coming to the US. Some were coming from independent African nations like Nigeria, from Ghana, coming here to study in the US. Um, but we didn't really see, there weren't very many large numbers. There weren't large numbers. It wasn't until 1965. Hey, Chale. <laughs> Devin, do you know what happened in 1965? 
Why don't you tell us? All right. Many things happened in 1965, but the Heart Seller Act. 19, look it up, look it up, brothers and sisters. 1965, the Heart Seller Act. It loosened immigration policies that basically favored Northern and Western Europeans that had been coming to the US um, uh, before. Um, it loosened immigration restrictions and allowed for um, immigrants from Latin America, from Africa, from Asia, start to come in. They started to come in because the US needed workers. The U.S. needed scientists, the U.S. needed professionals, they needed nurses, they needed doctors, they needed engineers, the, new, the, new, the U.S. needed workers. And so that policy opened up the, um, the, the restrictions and allowed for more people of color to come to the U.S. So now you have all these migrations of people and these people are coming here to work. Oh, hey, we're coming here for opportunity. We're coming here to work. We, many of us are coming from developing nations. So um, our we have challenges, economic, political, social challenges that we're coming from. And so we're coming here to work, to support ourselves and to support our families back home, right? So now you have all these different groups of people, some who were brought from the transatlantic slave trade, some who were born and raised here, some who were brought here voluntarily, all end up where? They all end up in the U.S. cafeteria. <laughs> wow. They all end up in U.S. schools. Yeah, brother. They all yeah. end up in U.S. schools. So now, what do they know about each other? What do you know about Africans, Devin? Not enough, honestly. Um, I know. Tell like, the truth. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll be honest because like, I, so I went to a predominantly white middle school and like, like with mm. what you're saying, I was never really taught about the trans, like they did mention the trans-Atlantic, like Atlantic slave, or wait, trans-Saharan um, slave trade. Then the only two like black figures that they mentioned was uh, Martin Luther King and um, it was, oh, Rosa, Rosa Parks. Parks. Yeah, exactly. Rosa Love Parks. Her. So Love I that. never got an understanding of, you know, really, African, both African and African-American identity. I never really learned that in the school. So like hearing things from uh, people like you who are uh, educating others about the African diaspora, it really opens up this conversation. Well, first it lets us know, wow, they are not teaching enough about this in schools. And that's why exactly. I think, you know, we should have more books like yours in schools. Do you think that if we had books like yours in schools, it would open up um, this conversation of bullying and this conversation of African and African-American identity? Absolutely. I think that, so first with the bullying, um, I don't think it's discussed enough in schools. I don't think that teachers or parents realize that how deep these issues go. You know, what, what some people could just dismiss as just child, you know, kid banter. Oh, she just called him a, a black jigaboo. That's nothing. But no, that has historical roots in, you know, negative portrayals of black people as villagers and, you know, it's uncivilized. Um, so it's not just, you know, oh, these are just light insults. No, these are 
deep historically embedded issues and racist racist matters that have yet to be discussed. Yeah. There's seriously racist and xenophobic matters that have yet to be discussed um, within Black populations specifically. Um, but it all stems from issues around white supremacy. I mean, that's the root of this, is that we have been taught to hate each other. And a lot of it has been perpetuated through the media's negative portrayals of us towards each other. I remember growing up in Nigeria and seeing African-Americans portrayed as, you know, just uh, welfare queens and kings and shiftless and without goals or ambitions. That's how they were portrayed, right? And then I remember growing up here and seeing Africans <laughs> portrayed as, you know, living in jungles, living in huts, you know, this is not to say that these things don't exist, they do. However, the, it needs to be contextualized. You need to explain the historical issues, the, his, the political matters, the, the structural issues that have created this situation for these people, right? Those things weren't discussed. Those things weren't contextualized for an outsider looking in. And so I wanted a space, I needed a space. I, do, I just remember growing up, experiencing these issues. I remember, you know, conducting research, you know, with students, college students, graduate students experiencing these, these issues. And then even, even today, recently, you know, we still find issues of kids being bullied and harassed because they're dark skinned, because they're from Africa, because they're, because they're whatever. People pick something, people will figure out a way to tease you, right? But we're not addressing them in schools. We're not addressing them in our communities. Um, and so I, I wanted something, I needed a space for my people, my tribe, my community, people who were having these issues to come together and have these conversations with me and with other people to find solutions around these problems, to have open, real conversations, not that um, whitewash, you know, let's hold hands, kumbaya and love each other. No, no. Why did you call her African booty scratcher? Do you realize that, that that is an ethnic slur that describes Africans as diseased and savages? Is that, what, is that what you mean to say to her when you call that black queen African booty scratcher? You know, but you know, but I'm thankful because conversations have changed because now we're seeing that African Americans, um, actually posted something like this a couple of weeks ago, you know, the same people that were calling us African booty scratchers 20 years ago are now wanting to be African kings or something like that. <laughs> because I now, get what you mean by that. No, I get what, what you I mean, mean by that. that is that I remember, I remember so the, my, my participants in, in my research, um, they talked about how when they were growing up, people referred to them as um, with those those ethnic slurs like African booty scratcher, they will call them racist, you know, they will be make, make, uh, make comments like call them black B word. I don't know your age group of your participants <laughs> of, your, of, your, of your tribe here, um, um, but I'm sure they're a wide range, but a black B word, um, they use the N word, um, they would use, you know, you're so, you're, you're 
black as night, can't see you. Just, just make the first, it's colorism, right? It's all colorism. It's, 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 it's belittling someone because of their dark skin, making them feel less than. Um, so these, these, these issues were happening in schools, but you know, like I said, teachers would not know how to deal with it. Instead of explaining that, you know, these students have dark skin because they're from the continent of Africa, they're closer to the equator. This dark skin protects them from the sun. This is a beautiful thing. The darker, the better, honey. <laughs> right? These are rich, this is rich melanin in the skin. Wait, dark, the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice? Yes, yeah. brother. Yeah. The darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. And honey is sweet, though, is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, instead of, instead of emphasizing the beauty of dark skin, right? It's, it's dismissed, you know? They don't talk about it or like, oh, be quiet. It's, it's just, you know, I'm like, no, sister, we got to unpack that. We have to unpack the historical issues here, how Black people have been portrayed through white supremacy, through the media, through the global media, as, as, as inferior, as, as, as diseased, as uneducated, as uncivilized. That's how, as, 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 as animalistic, think about it. I don't, have to, I don't have to tell you, Google it yourself. Over the years, you can see how we've been portrayed. And so this has entered the minds of young people and adults who see us like this and they treat us. Why do you, I mean, look at, look at how people are being killed, how black people are being killed left and right. Why do you think that is? Because there's a fear of black people. It's called xenophobia. Google it. It's called xenophobia. There's a fear of black people and that goes from centuries ago because we, people have been trained to, to fear dark skin. So these issues have to be unpacked. And so I, I, I created Dr. J's Lounge as a space to begin unpacking these conversations um, with, 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 with um, students, with professionals, with teachers. Um, I have, parent group, have a parent group workshop coming up in February. I have a student, I'm, I'm meeting with um, Wheaton High School this next week um, to talk with their um, some, some of their black student associations around, around this, the, about the African diaspora, like I'm sharing with you now, just to have some really open conversations around these issues that we're having in schools, in our communities. And so, because when you're open and honest, then we can start forgiveness, right? We can forgive. We can forgive and we can heal and yeah. we can move forward. And that's the goal, but we can't you know, heal and forgive if we can't address the issues, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. No, brother, we have to address the issues. We have to address the trauma that has been caused. Um, we, have to, we have to really reconcile with ourselves and each other. And then we can move forward together and hold hands. So this is why I created Dr. J's Lounge to start to really seriously have these conversations because there's too much trauma with our black kids, too much trauma. And they need to talk about these issues. They need ways to, they need courageous adults to say, look, this is how they see you because of X, Y, Z. Nevertheless, you will persevere because of A, B, C, <laughs> right? Those are the conversations we have at Dr. J's Lounge. That's the kind of conversation they have with me and with other scholars that I work with. I'm working with Dr. Sh uh, Deepa Shrikantea 
who also works with South Asian immigrants and looking at some of the issues they are having around colorism and issues on integrating US schools. So it's a space for scholars, academics, um, parents, students, teachers to come together and have real conversations about issues happening within our schools and come up with real solutions. So our kids don't live our, so our students can stop leaving our schools damaged, damaged and ignorant about their history. Yeah. It stops. Yeah, we, those days are over, brother. <laughs> those days are over. We're educating. Yeah. We're educating our own now in our own spaces. And so it's welcome. Everybody's invited. I, you know, I, like I said, I give these workshops. I'm invited to work, give workshops, professional development trainings for teachers, for, for, um, for students, um, just to start having these real conversations. Yeah. I always say it does start with a conversation. Because absolutely, we, like you're saying, we really do need to addressing it. You have to start with the conversation. You have to start with hearing what everyone is thinking, correct that, or just, you know, really offer your knowledge, your correct, your true knowledge about yeah. your culture, about your history. Like when I, like, I'm going to keep talking about this because when I, <laughs> Like, think about how I went you. to this uh, predominantly white middle school and I never got that understanding. And now that I'm doing things like the Race to Speak Up podcast and like my other events, hearing from um, different people like you who are educating others about the African diaspora, about African Nigerian identity, about just African American in, in general, like hearing these things, I should know that also. Like, I should know that before. Right. But especially as a Black person in America. Yes. And it's just so sad to think about how there's a lot of people like me who don't necessarily know as much. But luckily, I've had, I'm having the privilege of talking to people like you, talking to you and hearing and getting more of an understanding about the African diaspora and having Absolutely. like reading amazing books, which you guys definitely, definitely need to read. Some Black girls don't sit together in the cafeteria. It's yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> She's holding it up right now. She's holding it up right now. It is so. Oh, yes, there it is. Yeah. And then it's just like when I was reading it, I'm not going to give spoiler alerts. I'm just going to say, like, when I was reading it, I wasn't expecting how things turned out in the end between, I can, oh, I can say, um, wait, it's pronounced Shayi, right? Shayi. Yes, that's Keisha. right. Shayi. Uh huh. And Keisha, I wasn't expecting how things ended up. But you see, when it comes to bullying, I mean, we can kind of make an, educated guests on how things may end up where where it comes to um whether it be like results in fights or it results in the um victim going through the pain going through the depression the anxiety um mm. it's so unfortunate but we can we it's just so sad thinking about it you know it's so sad knowing like from my own experience going through bullying knowing that you can these affects the trauma is real I went through depression it's real. I went through anxiety I went through paranoia just because I was hated on for the color of my skin my beautiful melanin oh. that we continue that we as black people have to continuously try to embrace because of how hard society is on us with just for something as simple as our melanin as simple as just walking outside with our beautiful afro our beautiful curly hair 
our beautiful features, our different diverse um, skin colors. It is so yes, gorgeous. We're so scene. fabulous, aren't we? We really <laughs> are beautiful people. We really are beautiful people. Mm-hmm. We really, yeah. truly are. The diversity of skin. You know, Black people come in every shade from light to the blackest of black. It's amazing. It is. It's, it's, I just, I, when I look at the diversity of Black people in terms of color, language, um, religion, so many, we're so, we're so different, but we're so alike. You know, we're, we're very truly diverse people in amazingly beautiful ways. But then when you look at us, like the, the, the colors, the diverse colors, it's just like, wow, I'm just amazed. I love black people. I love people. I love people, but I love black people. And it took a while for me to start to really even appreciate our blackness, you know, because we were taught, I have to be honest with you, growing up in the US, we're not taught to love being black. It really depends, let me say this, it depends on which circles you're in. But in the circles that I grew up in, which were predominantly white, and for many of the circles that, and even predominantly black, and for many of the many of the circles that my participants reported, they were heterogeneous or predominantly white. They didn't have positive experiences with their blackness. They didn't. They were they were taught to hate their blackness. They were taught to question, dislike, disregard, lighten their blackness. And it's just like, why? That's who that is. Why do you want to step out the humanity of the person? That's who that person is. So I I just wish we need to change the narrative. We need to start educating about African kingdoms, African people, the African diaspora. We need to re-educate. We need to educate, (laughs) re-educate, and then assess everybody. So true. Right? We, so we true. have these conversations. We do. We really do. And, 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 and I think by that, we can really have true healing, true reconciliation and healing. I truly believe that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's so true. You are reminding, you're reminding me or you're making me think about another thing. So What's when that? I was, so when I was at um, my previous school, there was um, a few other like black kids and like between, so it was, literally just only a few like it say in like a classroom of like 30 there was only like three black kids including me so Mm. at that school I started realizing between the black kids that there was almost like just a little bit of competition to being liked also which is Mm. another thing because of the fact that like we were getting hate hated on from others we wanted to be liked and I never, I never tried to be competitive. I mean, if you were to see me at, if you were to see me at school, I'm always the one that's like, hey, how are you? I'm always trying to talk to everyone, just really make everyone feel comfortable. I never, if you, you know, if you don't like me, that's completely fine. If you don't, if people don't like each other, that's completely fine, just as long as you're respectful. But the thing is, there was almost this like competitive aspect to it, which is an, like, have you ever noticed that, say, like when you're in an environment where it's mainly white people and you're, uh, you as a few black people are used to being in this environment where you're still getting hated on by those white people and you just want 
to be loved. And so when you see another Black person getting loved on by those other types of people, you you may almost like get jealous of it. And that's why you hate on that um, like Black person. Because I feel like that's why I had felt like I was competing with another Black person. And I wasn't even trying to be liked. I just felt like they were coming at me out of jealousy. That's why mm-hmm. I almost felt uncomfortable within the Black people that also went there too. It's so hard. But um, what do you, sorry, what do you think about that though? So two things are coming to mind as you speak. One is the issues of issue of being a token Black person in a white environment where you are the black ambassador (laughs) right for all things black right you know the history of black people you speak up about black social about social justice issues you're the one that educates white people on black hair you're the one that educates black people on um soul food or expected to right (laughs) so that's that black token experience that my re- my students my my research participants actually discussed, um, and then there's also this issue of this crab mentality within our own groups, right? So instead of us being more united, we should be more united in these environments, right? Especially when, yeah. when we're the minority. Yeah. in these environments, we should be united. We should be supporting each other, not tearing each other down. So when I hear you talk about that, I think about, have you, have you ever seen crabs in a bucket? Yeah. <laughs> what happens with crabs in a bucket? What happens when one crab is trying to get out of a bucket? What do the other crabs do? They like fight each other and climb on top of each other. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. yeah yeah because the thing is I like with that competition I never wanted to compete which made me like respond by like distancing myself and I'm like I don't want to distance myself from someone that looks like me as a minority in this community and I'm like I'm not competing with someone because I am 12 years old I don't want to compete with someone at that time I was 12 years old look at how young look at how young you all are dealing with those issues so let me ask you did you have, were you able to talk with your parents about this or any teachers, counselors about these types of issues? That's actually another, I'm glad you brought that up because like, mm-hmm. so I would always, um, I, I tell my parents everything. I'm very, a lot of trust, That's a lot awesome. of love and I'm, yeah, which is very good. Just but Tell your parents everything. Yes. Let them help you think through these challenges. Absolutely. Yes. And mm-hmm. so the thing is like, I, because I went to that predominantly white school, I was used to like the racism and I was kind of used to like certain things that I was used to certain things I shouldn't be used to. So I was used to that competitiveness, the the competition. Oh my God. What am I saying? The competition. So like, Mm -hmm. I, like when I was really bullied, when these three boys put my face onto those racist images and like, that was, that was when I really that was the realization of how big this racism was. That moment made me realize the other racist things that happened before, even homophobic things too, which is another conversation, but like a lot of the different Um, hate that went on at that school. Intersected oppression, intersectional oppression. Yeah. So you're the issues of homophobia with racism with this, this they're all intersecting. 
these different oppression mm-hmm. oppression that you're experiencing. Yeah. And so, so when continue. that like when that like big um moment of racism happened, when I was really like realizing that this was racism happening at that school, the microaggressions, the little slurs that I heard, that was when I realized that that was hate. That was wrong. Yeah. And then even like when I bring up like the the um like competition, the times of like competition between like m- like me and my other minority people, like it it makes me realize these things. Like even looking back now, I'm like, wow, there was some competition, but yeah, I wasn't even competing. <laughs> I um, was like off to the side. And then I'm like, I remember there's times where like, say I was the only person, like only black person or only person of color in that classroom at that moment. And they bring yeah. up slavery, all the white kids, all the white Look kids turn to me. They turn to me. They, they, no, Dr. J, they would literally turn to me and they would be like, oh. <laughs> what? Is it 400 years ago? No. So Are I'm not really laughing this right now? at you. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at how common this experience is. You are not the first, brother, and you will not be the last Mm. to report this experience to me. So let me ask you, when they all, when this sea of white students, (laughs) (laughs) go ahead, go ahead. When this sea, of white students turned and looked at your beautiful, dark, melanated skin within this context of transatlantic slavery, what did you do? <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you, I, oh, I'm very vocal. What I did is I actually looked back at them and I said, what, what are you looking at? So (laughs) luckily my vocal, my little activist type of self at that time, that 12 year old, that eight, wait, no, no, no. That like 11, 10, 12 year old range said, what, what are you looking at? (laughs) Well, I'm making Dr. J laugh so hard right now, but that is exactly what I did. Wait, 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 Devin. So you said- what? What are you looking at? And what was their response? Looking away. <laughs> they actually looked, at, some of them looked away. For those that I didn't look at and said that, I think those are the ones that were still looking. But regardless, the teachers over here talking about some, um, uh, all right, ne- next topic. Like, you know, <laughs> like, what? What? So me being the only Black person, the only Black person in that classroom at that moment, I was so uncomfortable, but the thing is, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. So I think I just naturally retaliated by saying that. And I can specifically remember that. While of what I told you, that was my uh, memory of one specific thing, but there's still other times where that happened too. So it's really, mm. Okay, so there's some, so some issues come up for me, but have you had your water, you know, in Dr. J's lounge and this, we're having these courageous conversations. You have to stay hydrated. So if you haven't, you have a bottle of water around? Mm-hmm. I have water. my mug. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's filled with a nice refreshing liquid, preferably water. Mm-hmm. But make sure you drink about eight glasses a day, okay? Stay hydrated. Mm. So 
some things come to mind as I hear you um, talk about your experience. Again, I'm not laughing at your experience. It's just, it's, it's comical how, how common these experiences are. That's what's so amazing. And, and still, we're still having difficulty having these courageous conversations around these topics. So one thing that comes to mind for me is the teacher's um, discomfort around this historical experience, <laughs> right? So I don't know this teacher. I'm sure he's, a, I'm sure he's is an excellent teacher. He means well, don't know him. Um, but you know what, when I hear that, however, what I think of is that this person has not addressed their own understandings around race and racism in the US, right? They have not unpacked their own racial identity as a white person. That's what that first tells me. Mm -hmm. this, this teacher, this white teacher has not unpacked their own racial identity. You know, in the US, um, remember, I, you know, I told you during the, um, the well, if you take my course, you, you would know this. We, during the turn of the century, 18th, 19th century, we saw immigrants coming, to, from Ellis, coming into Ellis Island. They would come in from various European countries, Italy, Greece, um, Germany, various countries from Europe. They came here to the US. Um, so um, over time, these white ethnics, you know, these were different national and ethnic groups coming from Europe, these European ethnics assimilated into white society. Right, they assimilated. They became they became part of the white majority, right? So it was more symbolic for these Irish to celebrate their ethnic identities. You know, they do it on the the, the um, March, um, I, uh, the Irish holiday in March. Um, um, uh, we Saint Patrick's um, Day. We um, oh Saint Patrick's Day. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Saint Patrick's Day. Okay. <laughs> I was so to remember. Thank you. Yes, Saint Patrick's Day. Exactly. Right, so right, so they'll celebrate. That's when you see many white ethnics highlight their ethnic identity. But normally speaking, most Americans to see themselves as American. If you ask a white American, what you know, how do you identify? I'm American. <laughs> well, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah, right? um, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I'm like, wait, let me stop and think. That is very true, Doctor J. But this is research, brother. Yeah, this is research. Yes. Right, they, they haven't had. They haven't really had to um, really unpack their racial and ethnic identities because they became part of the white majority, and they see that they are American. We're all Americans. If you're naturalized or if you're born here, you're American. Yes, but they didn't have to. They, they were the majority, right? They were always with the majority, so they haven't had to unpack. You know, I'm white. What does that mean? What does that mean historically? What does that mean in, in, when I'm in a, a classroom of this 99% white and 1% black, you know? What does that mean for me as a white teacher? They haven't had, they haven't had the opportunity to unpack that um, in their teacher education programs, um, in their homes, within their own communities. You know, it just hasn't been a conversation. Now, now people are having more of these conversations, but most teachers, and most white people, based on my experience and based on the, the experience from my participants, 
And based on you telling me right now, they haven't unpacked it. And so we, we have to unpack it. We have to understand, you know, your identity as a white Irish man. What does that mean historically? What does that mean contemporarily? What do people see and think when they see you? People haven't, many people have not thought very deeply about this. And so it's in my, in, in, in workshop, in my workshops and in one-on-one in -on -one consultations that I have with, with people on drjayslounge.com, but we have these really serious conversations um, to get people to really reflect first. We've got to reflect on this. We have to read, we have to do some reading. We have to read some history. <laughs> you know, we're not just making this up. This is, this is based on history, right? This is, this is history. So let's unpack this history and understand how it's Im impacting us right now in our classrooms. And so that's what I, I tried to do with Shay and some of the experiences she's having with the black students in the cafeteria. And some of the students and some of the experiences she's having with the um, the SRO officer, Officer Glassstar. I wanted to ask you, Devin, what resonated with you the most um, in the book? What did you like the most? What did you what, what did you what really captured you? Um, that's a really good question because I think everything did. Um, but mm. oh, the um, I think actually it was really just Shay feeling like an outcast. Mm. I think it's really just that because I can relate to her like feeling like she has to sit with like the black kids or feeling like she has to sit with a certain type of kid in order to see be seen as normal whereas yeah. you're still feeling like an outcast and still kind of wanting to sit alone away from others I can relate to you know others kind of coming at me for whatever reason and like just some type of other type of bullying where they come at you for something that you're doing or wearing so I can right. I can relate to that I can I think it's really just relates to her feeling like an outcast, you know, especially going back to my middle school during like the time of when I was really bullied. I did not want to sit with anyone, honestly. I mean, it was both me feeling way too uncomfortable, but on top of that, I just, I didn't want to, I didn't feel welcomed. Whenever I don't oh, feel like yeah. I'm welcomed, I don't think I will like, I, my, I just won't it's like I kind of shut down almost. And it's so, because I'm, I, especially in the school environment, in fact, really only in the school environment, whenever, if I do ever feel like that, I mm -hmm. just kind of shut down and I want to sit away from others. And so I can relate to Shay when she's talking about how like, you know, she, it feels like she has to sit here in order to be sit, seen as normal, but still being seen as an outcast. I think it's really it's, just that. Right, and so think about, so we're talking about feeling the, the social ostracism that Shay is experiencing. So think about how that impacts her academics. Can, can you study when you're crying inside? <laughs> think about it. You know, can you retain information when mm -hmm. you're concerned about, you know, people talking about how black your skin is or that your food stinks? Can you retain information? No, can you think no, about no. What, can you think about what your your teacher is telling you about quadratic equations when you know you know you're scared that somebody may jump you when you're walking at, walking home from school? No, you ain't thinking about that. <laughs> you thinking about how am I <laughs> going to protect not. myself? Right? How am I going to protect myself? And then for Shayi, you know, because she has Nigerian parents who are new immigrants to the U.S who are, have issues and fear around immigration, 
you know? So she's even, she has trepidation around sharing her experiences with them because, you know, they fear being deported. They fear being harassed by the police. So who is this young girl supposed to go to? Who is this 14, 15 year old girl supposed to go to? The teachers, you know, don't understand what's going on. The parents are telling her to, you know, just be proud of your culture, but aren't giving her the necessarily the, the tools, you know, the language, the language to help her. Well, her Auntie Funke does. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Auntie Funke, yeah. yeah, she's a wise one. She's, she's well-read, she reads, she studies history. So she gives Shayi some language and some history, but she uses it in a way that, you know, causes pain. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I, you punch me, I punch you back, you know? So we, we, have to, we have to have these conversations with our kids, with our young people around, around these very tough conversations. But once we have a better understanding of the history of how it's played out, we can then, like I say, reconcile and we can heal. We can do this. We really can do this. <laughs> we yeah. really can. But people have to be reflective. People have to take ownership of their history, take ownership of their knowledge, take ownership of their experiences and share what, they, what they're open to sharing, right? And share and listen. Yo, listen, listen to others. It's not always about you. It's not always about you. Listen to what other people are experiencing. So now we listen to each other. We understand each other's perspective. Now, how can we move forward? That's what that, this is what Dr. J's Lounge is about. How do we move forward? But we have to have these conversations. And so thank you, Devin. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I really, I hope you enjoyed the book. I would love a review on Amazon or on the website, drjayslounge.com. I would love a review to share with other people. Um, and please share it with your colleagues, your friends, and let's, let's seriously have these conversations, please. Because like I said, so many of our kids are leaving school ignorant and traumatized. You know, it's not until they meet that Nigerian friend or that Ethiopian friend or that Jamaican friend or that, you know, you know or, that, or that Dominican friend. They're like, oh, there are other black people from other parts of the world, yeah. <laughs> And it's so, oh, yeah, yeah. It's all the African diaspora. We've been dispersed from the continent of Africa. But you see, this is, this is where the history, we have to relearn the history. We have to relearn because there's so much that we still don't know. So much about the Trans-Saharan um, slave trade, specifically to India, you know? Um, so there, there, were, there, there was a, a large population that were taken to India and they are still there. The Sadiq people, they are still there today. They don't, many people don't know about them, right? So we have so much to learn, so much to learn. And I'm excited yeah. to be part of the journey with people. It's my pleasure and my honor. Knowledge is key. Knowledge is key. Yes, brother. Key. They yes, teach so. that, wait, they teach knowledge is key in school, but they don't teach about all these things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, wait, so do you have any, oh, I'm sorry. No, and see, and, and you're exactly right. And so, you know, this, very brief history lesson that I've given you. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's not taught. It's not taught, unfortunately, in school. And this is why, like I said, I created Dr. J's Lounge as a space to start 
teaching, to start sharing, and to start discussing. And so, um, you know, I'm giving workshops, I'm giving professional development trainings as well for students and teachers um, to really start having these conversations and to learn, right? We're all learning. We're all learning. I'm still learning a lot, you know, so we're all learning. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying these new, this new online learning spaces. It's cool. Different, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it is cool because I'm able to like be connected and like talking to you right now. You're yes, in Maryland. I'm in New York. I'm like, okay. And then it's also funny because um going, I know we did talk about this before. So the University of Maryland in College Park is actually one of the colleges I really want to go to. And you Wonderful. did a presentation there. Why don't you tell us about, in fact, why don't you tell us about some of your past presentations and why don't you start with that one? Because I really want to hear. Oh my- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we'll talk about that one really briefly. So I was invited um, by um, one of my colleagues from Actually, we went to graduate school together and, and we, she recently learned about my book and my, and she knew about my research, but she recently learned about my book, Some Black Girls Don't Sit Together in the Cafeteria, Dr. Deepa Shrikanteya. And she invited me to come and speak about my research and my positionality um, in my research um, to, her, to, graduate, to her graduate school students. And it was a joy. So I had a chance to basically share my dissertation research with them. Um, from 2009, of my color, but not of my kind, um, the racial and ethnic identity negotiations of 1.5 and second generation immigrants. I just took them through that process of collecting the data and also, you know, what, what the major findings were of that study. And then we transitioned into a, a brief reading of the book, Some Black Girls, and a brief courageous conversation around, you know, students not, issues of unbelonging among students, you know, even though uh, the, some, of the, some of the main takeaways that I got from that conversation with the graduate students at UMD was that, you know, this book runs across racial and ethnic lines. You know, many of us have experienced feelings of, you know, feeling ostracized um, because we were different. And so I had students of different racial backgrounds in the group um, white students, um, black students, uh, Middle Eastern students, from what I could see physically, um, who identified with the themes of the book of not feeling like they belonged and having to reconcile it. Um, so it was, it was, and that's what I loved about it. I loved how anyone can relate to this because we, most of us experienced that in high school, but this looks at it from an immigrant's perspective, a black immigrant new to the US how she's experiencing U.S. school systems and U.S. racial groups. It's just a, a different, it's a new look. It's a different perspective. And we need more of these perspectives in schools because our schools are diversifying. Our schools are constantly diversifying. And so we need to be able to, we, teachers need to be aware of the diversity that exists within the Black population. And they need to learn how to educate them in a way that's affirming, that's equitable and it's affirming. So I'm hoping that through Dr. J's Lounge, I can partner with school systems and, and, and individual teachers that want to work through these issues in, in creative and meaningful ways. Do you have plans to write any more books? Yeah, brother, of course. <laughs> as long as I have life and I'm, I'm using these hands until they, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they last me. I'm hoping that we have technology. Technology improves to like 
you know, like the stem cell research to improve my hands. So as long as I have life, I'm writing. <laughs> yes. And so <clears throat> some black girls teach lessons is coming out in February, 2022 is going to the editor next week. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Next week going to the editor. So it is the continuation of the book. Some black girls don't sit together in the cafeteria. So what happens next between Shady and Keisha in the cafeteria? Do they come to blows? <laughs> I mean, yo, did you read the end? <laughs> like, I mean. Yo, she said blocking her face with her left and with <laughs> the right, she let her fist fly with a vicious punch aimed at my eyes. What's, what's, what's going to happen? So yeah, we got book two coming out. I told uh, I told the group at, at um, University of Maryland. I said um, I'm gonna be the next Black Judy Bloom, just like just popping out stories <laughs> 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 for a lifetime. Because the participants gave me so much rich data, so much rich data, Devin. Hours and hours and hours of interviews i was only able to unpack you know 300 less than 300 pages in my dissertation i still have hundreds of pages that i have yet to really like really you know delve into you know so i'm looking forward to i've been i've been enjoying you know digging back into my data you know finding new things so it's, it's going to continue for a while absolutely keep telling these stories to help young people navigate these challenging issues because we want our children healthy and whole. Healthy, beautiful, whole black children, not damaged and ignorant. No. So that's what we're about. Awesome. Well, um, oh, also, why don't we talk about Zacosa Fitness? Um, can you tell us about tell us more about Zacosa Fitness? Because you you do a lot. You do a lot. But tell us about <laughs> Zacosa Fitness. Yeah, multi-talented, absolutely. So Zucosa Fitness is a, um, a dance fitness program that I created with my daughter back in 2006, actually. Um, I created it when I was in grad school. I was gaining weight like a, like a mofo, Devin. Oh my goodness. When I was in grad school, you know, I was just so busy working. I was, I was, I was um, teaching, I was writing. I was, um, I was a single parent as well so just 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 very 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 busy um and just gaining weight and could not get it you know and i would you know i i was a track runner in high school and in college and i was always I always danced i loved dancing i would man see me on friday night you know when i <laughs> when i had a babysitter man see me at crossroads i would be in the dancing with the africans next time i'll be dancing with the caribbean islanders we'd be dancing to soca then we're dancing to makosa there was dancing to dumbbell man then we're dancing some salsa man <laughs> 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 i love music and i love dancing but i was only able to get out every once in a while you know like i said i was a single parent i'm in grad school so i wasn't i didn't have a lot of free time and so, but when I was able to go to Crossroads, um, there was a club that we had in Bladensburg, Bladensburg, Maryland. Man, I, man, yo, that place was the, was the spot. <laughs> for dance, yo, Devin, for 
dancing. If you want to talk about music of the diaspora, hey, come to Crossroads, we will <laughs> dance. Hey, the sweat, the sweat dripping from our bodies. Hey, chale, chale, chale. <laughs> <laughs> Devin, hey, my friend, you, uh, hey, if you don't believe me, message, look up Dr. Shanika Coleman King or Dr. Bedelia Richards. These are all PhDs, highly intelligent, educated women that could, hey, see them on the dance floor. My brother, you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine we, we have PhDs. Bring us to the classroom and the dance floor. We'll take you on either one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Multi-talented, multi-talented. Yeah, so, so, but see, the challenge was that I couldn't do it often because like I said, I was a single parent. I was, I was, I was in grad school. I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was busy and, and I had papers due, presentations. And so, so I couldn't get out there very often, but man, the way we were sweat, heck, I will have to change, take a change of clothes, Devin. The sweat, dripping. And, and you know, we would, some people would drink alcohol, but because I was, I was there for exercise. So it was water. It was water. I drink every now and then, but really water. <laughs> really water, right? So, um, you know, I wanted to create that outside of the club. And I needed to create that outside of the club because I was gaining so much weight. I was gaining so much weight and I knew I needed a fitness program that I could commit to, right? Because if it, I couldn't do, there's some classes, I'm like, this is boring. I'll give it 10 minutes and I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, I need something that has me in here. Like, yes, honey, yeah, I needed something like that. <laughs> and so, you know, I started, it started with Zumba. I learned about Zumba. Um, I started dancing with um, some instructors here, Jennifer Lucio, was an instructor here. I started taking her class at Gold's Gym. It was fabulous. Next thing I know, I'm in the front row, you know, leading the classes with Jennifer. And so I went to, uh, to Miami, Florida, and I got um, licensed and certified by Beto Perez, the creator of Zumba. And so I taught Zumba for like 10 years in the, in the DMV. And then I went abroad. I taught in Jamaica. I taught in the Dominican Republic. But then I really wanted to really you know, a lot of the Zumba music, you know, a lot of it with the, the drumming, the, 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 the rhythms, a lot of them come from African rhythms and techniques. And so I wanted to really showcase our African histories and traditions, dance traditions and routines. And so I, you know, um, taking what I had learned from Zumba, I started to really focus more on our dance traditions, like like I said, Nakosa and Dumbulu. Um, and, and so I, uh, and then combining that with the, the dance traditions like Soka, Calypso that we have in the Caribbean. I mean, then also, we also dance the salsa as well because it's also part of our roots. And so I, I wanted a class that will, will really bring together all those beautiful dance traditions, man. And so Zucosa Fitness was born and my daughter and I have been teaching it on and off um, since 2006 and partly because I've had several health challenges that, um, that made it, yo, man, you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your body. Um, it, it put me out, you know, different health challenges over the years that I had to stop, you know, because of pain, just a lot of pain. Um, 
but I've, I've uh, we've repackaged our work with Zucosa Fitness to focus more on stretching. We still dance, hey, we still cut the rug. We still dance. Um, absolutely, we dance, but we also do a lot more stretching and and breathing and meditation as well. Because uh, we're getting older, honey. Um, we're getting older, and uh, we need to slow down. <laughs> we need to slow down. Those knees. Those knees don't work the way they used to anymore. So you know, just being <laughs> so you know, being more deliberate with the movements and even um, um, dancing in the chair. So I, I use this chair for some of my participants who have uh, issues with their knees or their back. You know, we'll do this. We'll do movements in the chair. Um, so we have the Zucosa chair as well. So I've learned over the years to adapt the dance steps to accommodate, you know, different abilities different physical abilities and it has mostly come from my own pain <laughs> right my own physical challenges have, have forced me to be more open to people of different from of varying physical abilities so uh people I, I work with people who are in wheelchairs to people who you know who are just leaving the hospital and just need to slowly rebuild their strength so it's been it's been a blessing and I'm really glad to have reconnected back to my, my roots, my roots, right? Reconnected back to my dance roots, my African traditions as well, because it's helped me to improve my own health. Because for a while I was eating a very Western diet in terms of a lot of processed foods, you know, quick, get it, let's go. I gotta hurry up and eat something so I can move on. Yo, that did a number on my body. It did a number to my stomach, my digestive system. You know, so I had to make a change, um, not only physically, um, but also in terms of my diet. And so I'm, I'm more focused on eating our traditional foods, being more focused on eating a, a lot of greens and, and grains, um, you know, really highlighting that for my clients as well. Go back to your traditional ways of eating. So I'll, I'll recommend a website called oldways.org. And they have this pyramid called the African Heritage Diet Pyramid that you know, really helps to educate people on the various types of healthy foods um, that we should be eating to have a healthier lifestyle. So in, in, in part of what I'm doing with Zucosa Fitness, yes, we're still dancing, but we're also educating and re-educating re-educating about our traditional African foods, our, 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 our ways of being active, of being socially um, interactive, being more communal, looking out for each other. It's all, all of that is, in, is, is embraced in the African heritage diet. It's not just about food, you know, it's about social interactions as well, right? So all of this embraced there. So I've been, I've been recommending that site um, and, that, and, the, and those teachings to help people get healthier, become healthier, because the way that we're living in this country, it's not, it's, it's not doing, it's, it's, not, it's not for the betterment of us. So we have to go back to what our ancestors taught us about being, caring for each other, loving one another, taking care of ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, in other ways, being educated, reading, reading, reading and reading to each other, learning about our histories, teaching our histories. We have to go back, go back to the, those, traditional ways of being to heal, to heal, because we've been traumatized here. We've been traumatized. Many of us continuously, continues to be traumatized. Um, and so 
I'm, I'm hoping that Dr. J's Lounge serves as a platform. So like I said, everyone who wants to really start to address these issues around race, identity, and immigration um, in a safe space, but in a way that you will be challenged. To, you will be challenged to reflect um, on your role and how you can make significant changes for the betterment of, of, of all of us. Yeah. So ambitious goals, we're still new and, and it's just, it's just, it's just it's a small cohort of, of professionals, um, but we're, but we're, we're steadily building. And so we, I appreciate these opportunities to come out and talk to people about the work that we're doing, the, the books that, that we're publishing, the, um, the workshops that we're giving, um, the, the professional development trainings that we're providing. So I, I look forward to more collaborations. Um, well, Dr. J, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. The last question for you is, how can people find you? Tell us your social media platforms and your website. Yes, so you can find me on drjslounge.com. You can subscribe to the website and email me through there. You can also find me on Instagram. Yo, y'all gotta bear with me. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> this social media is another job. <laughs> <laughs> But I am trying, um, you know, to try to stay active. So <clears throat> just bear with me, because like I said, you know, I need technology to improve for people um, who have hand disabilities. Um, so it's, it's challenging, but I am trying to stay active. So just bear with me. I, if, you, if you comment, I definitely try to respond. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, but you can find me at Dr. J's Lounge um, on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you want to come dance with us, come work out with us, come relieve some stress or... Hey, come relieve some stress. <laughs> and come dance. We have Zucosa Fitness classes. We're going to have pre-recorded classes released in February 2022. So subscribe to have access to those classes. And then we have an online class scheduled for the third Sunday of January. If you have a calendar in front of you, you can pull it out and let me know that date again. I appreciate it. But third Sundays, third Sundays, um, we are having a 90-minute class online to dance with people to stay connected through COVID. You know, it's been challenging with COVID, but we're back online again on third Sundays. January 16, 2021. Oh, so, well, thank you again for joining us today, Dr. J. This is a great conversation. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to the next Courageous Conversation. And thank you for all who are listening. I hope to see you guys at future Race to Speak Up podcasts. If you have any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, feel free to contact me at racetospeakup at gmail.com. Make sure to follow at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on future podcasts. And join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Visit www.humanityrising.org for more information. And remember to ask yourself this question. How do you race to speak up? Mm.